Welcome to Big Rich Brock and Friends. Big Rich brings his clean comedy and storytelling to the weekly podcast that is laugh out loud and funny with a side of inspiration. Here is your host, Big Rich Brock. Hi, I'm Big Rich Brock, and thank you for tuning in to Big Rich and Friends. Come on, somebody. It's good to be here. I love doing this podcast, and man, we're building some momentum. Thank you guys for tuning in. Share it with your friends, your family. Hey, somebody you don't like, tell them about this podcast, and y'all might find something in common. It might be old Big Rich here. I think I've brought people together that didn't like each other before, just just from comedy and life and having some fun. But it's been a great week, and I hope you've had a good week. Uh, here we are going into what we're doing, and I've had a lot of things I wanted to share with you. And today, I want to talk a little bit um, about one thing in particular, and we'll see where we run with it. But I want to remind you as we start, I've got a great show coming up in Ringgold, Georgia on August the 10th, Thursday night. The show starts at 7 o'clock. It's at the Ringgold Depot. We're doing a live taped filmed program. Third time's the charm. It's what I'm calling it. My goal is for that to be uh, done in an excellent way. Having you there will help and us be able to turn that around and be able to sell that to somebody where they'll want to put it on their app. They'll want to put it on their network and get me to the next place. Of course, I'll have it available on YouTube and we'll march forward. But I'm looking forward to that night and you can get your tickets on Eventbrite. It's limited seating, but unlimited laughs. So call your friends, family, anybody in the Chattanooga, North Georgia area. It's an easy place to find great restaurants all around. You can go right down the block and there's a giant mural of Dolly Parton. If you're not familiar with Ringo, Georgia, Dolly Parton got married at the Ringo Chapel back in the day. And uh, they have a Dolly Parton day down there, and they've got a beautiful mural that you see people stopping all the time from all over the country get their picture made out there. So you can go down there and get your picture made, go get you a coffee or sandwich at Caffeine Addicts or one of the other restaurants down through there, and then come over to the show, have a good time, and uh, be blessed. So thank you, and spread the word on that. Uh, today, I want to talk to you uh, about my dad. My dad, Lynn Brock, my dad has passed. He passed away, um, went home to be with Jesus on January 2nd of 2019. And his birthday is August 10th. And that's why I picked that day to do my live special. The first recorded special that I ever did, I did on his birthday, August 10th. And this third one that I've done, uh, you know, I've also done dry bar. That's about to be released here in the next couple months, but this special, it's not all about my father, but my father, if you follow my comedy, and I guess you do, if you listen to this podcast or hopefully you will, uh, my father is a big role in my life and my mother, and an also a big part of my comedy. And I get tickled. People ask me, is all that really true? Hey, I ain't saying I'm just telling you this. People ask me why I waited to start comedy at 54 years of age. I had to get both my mom and daddy in heaven before I could do all this. 
and I do clean comedy, but I can imagine if my mom and dad were alive and at my shows, they'd be very proud, but my mama would probably say in the middle of it, now that's not true, that's not true, that really didn't happen. Rich, don't tell them that, they'll think that's true. And my daddy will be over there just shaking his head, saying, come on, somebody. I mean, that's what I can imagine. But my father uh, has probably the strongest work ethic. You know, all of it, well, not all of us, but many of us, I wish it was all of us, could say about our fathers that they had strong work ethics, that they were just moral people, that they loved us. You might be listening, and you might not even know who your father is. Well, I got good news for you. God's our father. He's our daddy. Man, God created us, and he loves us. Uh, Lynn Brock was my father, my dad. He He was steward over me in this world. You know, my father, when he passed... He was still the first person I went to when I needed advice or I thought, wonder how he would handle it. Now, my dad, growing up, my father struggled with something called asthma when he was a kid. My father is the youngest of three, all boys. I have all boys. I'm an only child. My mama said, when you have the best, why have any more? My daddy said, boy, don't kid yourself. We're scared to death to have another one after we raised you. You about drove us crazy. My dad's 11 or 12 years younger than his two brothers. He had two brothers that were uh, 13 months apart. And then 11, 12 years later, here, Lynn Earl Brock comes along. My father's middle name was Earl. He didn't like either one of his names. He said Lynn sounded like a girl's name, and Earl wasn't much better. And if your name's Lynn or Earl, God bless you. My my ex-father-in-law, who I love dearly, um, if I could kept anybody out of that family, it'd been him. And, uh, he's a good man. And he's my middle son's named after him, his middle name, David, but his middle name was Virgil. And I used to tell my boys when they were little, when they weren't behaving, I said, boys, y'all better listen. Cause one of y'all, I'm going down to the courthouse and one of y'all, I'm changing their name to Virgil Earl Brock. If you don't behave. And they would go, oh, no, I don't want to be Virgil Earl, you know. And if that's your name, God bless you. I ain't picking on you. I'm just telling you what it's like at our house. But my father, as a young boy, battled asthma. Uh, He didn't get to do a lot of the things that he wanted to do. Uh, He also, they didn't have a lot of money. And my father said he had a, they provided a roof over his head. And my pap and mama had clothes on his back. But they said, anything else you want, you're going to have to go get. And my father started working a job after school when he was in middle school, what we'd call middle school today. He worked at the drugstore, and he worked there from as soon as the bell rang until that place closed at 6, 7 o'clock at night. And he did that five days a week, and then on Saturday, he was there all day. And he was, I laughed. I didn't even know what one of these was. And some of y'all listening will go, what is that? You'll have to Google it. He was a soda jerk. Sounds bad, but it's a good thing. Serving ice cream and making ice cream. And he said, that's how he met my mama. That's how he met the ladies. You know, he's up there to ice cream, serving people when he got older. But when he started there, he was so young, he cleaned, he swept, he ran prescriptions for people. You know, they'd order something. And back in those days... They'd just run it. He'd be on his bicycle and drive it over to their house. You couldn't do that today, but that's the way it was back in the 1900s. And then as a grown man, when he worked for the post office in his hometown, he re- he started at the post office at 21 years of age. 
He worked there for 33-plus years. When he retired, the city of Chickamauga has two routes that are in the city. He worked one for 15 years, the other one for 18. For 15 years, my father walked 12.3 miles a day, five days a week, sometimes six. That's hard work, carrying a 70-pound bag, on a satchel on you. that started at 70 pounds, then you'd empty it, then you had to fill it up again. And he walked 12.3 miles a day. And you're like, Big Rich, how in the world do you remember that? Because I heard it every day of my life. Man, when I was a kid, if there was something I didn't want to do, my daddy would say, boy, I walked 12.3 miles a day. What did you do? Oh, not much. I don't want to hear it. And that 12.3 miles always sticks in my head. And, man, my dad, he had to work in the heat. He had to work in the snow. I can remember him coming in for from work. And, his I mean, he was frozen solid because the mail – that was how everybody got their stuff back then. There was no internet. There was no Amazon Prime. You know, it was all through the mail. All your bills, your correspondence, everything. And you didn't miss a day. And man, he wasn't Newman or Cliff Clavin. He was the real deal. And uh, I laughed because, man, he a few days out of the year, it was beautiful. He said it was a great day to be outside. He said more days than not, it was either blazing hot my father would eat ten thousand calories a day in the summer to keep his 165 pounds on him he always had trouble gaining weight man i wish i did i said but he never he struggled keeping weight on he would have to eat ten thousand calories a day because he burned off so much in the winter months he'd be out there to be zero wind chill 20 below ice snow out there severe rain out there there was no he said only one day in his career did they pull him off his route and that was the day that dr martin luther king was assassinated he was working in chattanooga tennessee when he first started and he says i'll never forget that day and um and none of us will if you were alive at that time and he said that's the only day that i ever got to be pulled off my route and we didn't deliver the mail. And my father worked hard, man. You know, not only that, I look now and I think he walked 12.3 miles a day. Then we'd get home and then he would play basketball with me. He'd rebound for me. We'd pitch baseball. We'd throw football. We'd go to baseball practice. He coached Little League. My dad and my Uncle Harold coached Little League for my cousin. Then after he got up into high school, my dad and uh, the Burns men, the Burns brothers. My father grew up with a family in Mill Village, the Burns, and uh, Terry and Dicey and Donnie. And my dad would take turns coaching our Little League team because Donnie's son Greg played I played, so we'd have a Burns and a Brock or two Burns coaching us for several years. And my father did that. My father taught the RAs at the church. My father would, you know, he was very involved in the community. Wasn't a politician. Got asked many times to run for city council. And in a small town of Chickamauga, he'd always say, you only got to have 100 people to like you to get elected. He said, I know I got 100, and I don't want the task. 
He says, I, I don't want to deal with those same 10 people that come down there complaining about everything. And in a small town or any place, it is that small percentage that suck up most of your time. As a pastor, it was the same way. You know, 10% of the people taking up 80% of your time, sucking the life out of you till you learn how to manage them. And my father not only worked in the post office, while he was doing that, he went back to night school. And he learned how to be a, a bookkeeper. And he did taxes on the side. And I remember him being burning midnight oil in there doing taxes for people. And I just looked at his work ethic. And he learned that working in that pharmacy, in that drugstore, and what God put in him and what he got from being a Brock. And he carried that all through his life. Uh, one of my good friends and one of my father's good friends, a man named Barry Helton, who passed, but is a good guy, worked at the post office. He used to joke they should build a statue of your father and put it out front of the post office. And I would chuckle. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. You want the example of what it means to do this job in excellence? It was Lynn Brock. So that's the kind of man that raised me. And that's the kind of guy that I watched take care of his wife, my mother, when she was battling a terminal illness. Man, if you've had a loved one there, you understand what I'm talking about. My mother required 24-7 care for four years of her life. She was healthy as a day's long, never smoked a cigarette, never had a drink of alcohol. I never even heard her cuss. And, man, I provoked her. I'm going to tell you something. If I had to raise me, I'd been cussing, smoking, and drinking three or four nights a week. But they never went that route. And my mother ended up battling a, a form of cancer in her lungs. And she lost 25% of her lungs each year over four years. My sweet father took care of her. And he told me and he told her sisters who helped. He said, this is my wife. I will take care of her until I can't any longer. It's my honor, and it's my responsibility. That's the kind of people we need leading this country today. That's the kind of people we need leading at the local level. He's like, I'm putting her first, and I watched him go through physical pain. I watched him lose his eyesight. I watched him have a hernia. I watched him go through mental anguish, but he made sure that his wife was taken care of. I remember when I was a teenager and I didn't have any sense like most teenagers. There's some that do. Thank God. My, my youngest son, he's got some sense at 17. Um, I laugh though. I don't really laugh about it because I remember one time I said something to my mother that was, uh, ugly. You know, I was rude to her and it made her cry. And my dad, I went outside and I was shooting basketball. My father came outside. And he came over, he took the basketball away from me. He looked at me right square in the eye, man to boy. And he said, nobody talks to my wife that way. And I'm like, well, that's my mama. He said, let me tell you something. She was my wife long before she was your mama. And if it wasn't for me and her, you wouldn't even be here. He goes, I don't ever want to hear you talk like that again. And I never did. I learned my lesson. But I learned something about my father that day. My father was a lover, not a fighter. 
but there's been times where I know, and I heard stories after he passed where people told me, they said, man, there ain't nobody messed with your daddy. Said your daddy was a good man. He was, he was a lover, but let me tell you a story. And it's fun after the fact. And if you've lost a parent and you know, they've got friends or people still in the neighborhood or in the community, I encourage you after my dad passed and I did his funeral, my father didn't even want a funeral. And I'm like, we got to do a funeral in his wishes. He's like, do not do a funeral. Only time I went against anything that he wanted about his life was that because a funeral is not for the dead. It's for the living. I needed that funeral even more. So my boys, his grandsons needed that funeral, not only for closure, but they needed to see the impact that their granddad had on other people. They just knew him as granddad. But over that day and a half, they saw hundreds of people walking into a little old funeral home in Chickamauga, Georgia, telling them things about their granddad, how they admired him, stories, funny things, good things. And I met some of those men that I didn't even know that about. And over the next few months, I would be drawn to go by. I'd be out working and I would swing by and see one of them old timers. And I'd walk in and they'd say, let me tell you a story about your daddy. A lot of them that I'd heard before, but every once in a while I'd get a diamond in the rough. I'd get a jewel I hadn't heard. And man, I'm still gleaning on them today. You know, the Bible teaches us to rehearse our victories. You know, there's things in this life that we face and there's obstacles. And before I face big things, I got a couple going on right now. I look back and I think about the things I've already overcame. I think about the things that I've already gotten on the other side of, and I realize I got through that so I can get through this. And man, whether you're starting a business, whether you're doing comedy, music, whatever it is you do, raising a family, man, you got goals. You got things you're wanting to achieve. Man, with my comedy, I'm wanting to take this podcast and my comedy, I want to make people laugh, but I also want to inspire them. I want to have a lot of fun. But I also want to take a minute to let people know, man, we're going to laugh and we're going to feel good. We're going to have a good time, but we also can grow and we can learn and we can help one another. And today, as I talk about my dad, you could be talking about your father. There are people in my life that I could talk about and not, they're not my dad, but I've seen those qualities in their life. The fellow that produces this show where I'm at today, he lived across the street from me from Gosh, all of our teenage years, I saw those characteristics in his father. There's other men in the city of Chickamauga. I saw those same characteristics. As a pastor, there were men in the churches that I pastored that I saw. I have family members today that my children say, I see granddad in him, the things that he does, the qualities that he has. And see, and I see that in my children. And that's what's great, man. Somebody might pass, but their legacy can continue, good or bad. And I'm just thankful it's good, and we got good things to talk about. You know, one of the things, my father had a great sense of humor. Um, I didn't realize it growing up because I didn't think he was that funny. But all my friends thought, man, your dad's hilarious. I said, no, nah, he ain't. 
and my boys have said the same thing and their their buddies are like man your dad you know long before i got into comedy man your dad cracks us up oh i don't think it's that funny because i'm their dad you know even i remember when i started doing comedy and i have three sons now they're 25 20 and 17 and when I started doing this, I sat them down and I told them my vision, my plan, what I was doing. They looked at me like I was nuts. And I could tell my middle one was thinking, man, what are you thinking? Somebody's going to pay $10 to come hear you do comedy and stories. And I really think they didn't think I was talking to anybody. I think they thought I'd show up at one of these breweries or wineries and have a drink and just sit there. And then people, their friends started following me on YouTube and on Instagram and they started watching and their friends would tell them I've had, uh, my oldest son, some of his friends shout out to them. If y'all are listening, uh, Grady and chase, they came to one of my shows. And after the show, I called my son and I said, Hey, you boys, you buddies, you fraternity brothers came to my show tonight. And he's like, Oh, I know they've been texting me all night about stuff you saying." <laughs> <laughs> wanting to know if that really happened. Wanted to know if that was true. Wanted to know about this. And it made me laugh. It made me happy. And, uh, but my boys, they see some of that in me. I don't see it in myself because I put my father, he was such an example. And I watched as he took care of my mother. Man, I was going through my first divorce and my parents didn't know it. I'd been married 24 and a half years, dated three and a half. I tease in my comedy, I say my first marriage, I was happily married 16 years. The problem was we was together 28. And man, we ended up just cohabitating, cohabitating and raising kids and being a taxi and a ball coach and those things. And we were more like roommates. We fell out of love. And then you get to a place, if you're there, I hope you're not. But if you're there, you understand you get to a place where you quit communicating and if you don't stop and address it and both of you, you both have to be willing to figure out how to fix it. Cause a lot of times what happens, I see it in my own life and I saw it being a pastor for 25 plus years, a husband and wife had come to me and they'd be in trouble. And one of them's trying to fix it and the other doesn't care. Then a month goes by, then the other one doesn't care, and the other one's trying to fix it. If you can ever get both of them on the same page, watch out. The devil's nervous when a husband and wife are in agreement. And what I watched in my own marriage was we quit communicating, and one day turned into a week, and then a week two, and then two a month, and then a month turned into two months, and then we it got awkward. We didn't know how to fix it. We both weren't willing to fix it, and then it just got difficult, and then it turned into a year, then two years, and we stayed in it because we wanted the best for our children, and then it got to a place where we realized, man, our kids think this is what happily ever after is, and this sucks, so it ended, but I watched my parents, the love that they had for each other. When I'm trying to make my marriage last, and I looked and I thought, man, my me and my wife at the time, we didn't love each other a fraction of what my parents did. If we just had a thimble full of what they had, I believe we could have made it. And I watch that in them, and I admire that, and there's hope. And there's hope for you. There's hope for me. 
And we don't have to be like them. We just got to be first Corinthians. Love's patient. Love is kind. Man, love don't keep no record of wrongs. Love doesn't boast. I mean, you, you can read it. I won't preach it, but you can read it. Corinthians 13, four through eight, but it ends. It says love never fails. And man, I watched that with my mom and with my dad. And man, my dad had a good sense of humor. I remember when we were kids, you know, and where I got a lot of my comedy thoughts were in Chickamauga, Georgia. My grandparents lived in what we call Mill Village. There's a Mill Village in every town, you know, where the mill owned the houses, they owned the grocery store, they owned the doctor. If there's a hospital, they ran the whole place. And all these little shotgun houses, as my grandparents would call them, were stacked up there in Chickamauga. And I remember when I was a little boy, they had a screened-in front porch. And, man, I thought that thing was massive. I drove by there a couple years ago. A friend of mine bought that house and was renovating it. I wish I'd bought it. And they invited me over to come see it. And, man, it was like going back in memory lane from 30 years prior, maybe longer, when I was a little boy. And when I walked out on that screened-in porch, man, that thing wasn't no bigger than a couple little tables, folding tables. It seemed so much bigger in my childlike mind, in my past. But, man, it was so small. And we had my pap, my Uncle Harold, my Uncle Bo, my dad, my cousin, me, and anybody else we could fit on that porch. And what they did on Sunday was they would tell stories. And they would talk about stuff, talk about sports, talk about life, and watch cars pass. And as cars would pass, they'd say, well, there goes Billy Neal. What where Billy Neal's headed? Well, it's Sunday. He's probably headed over to such and such. Y'all remember when Billy Neal scored four touchdowns over there against Tryon? You know, and then it would turn into telling stories about that person. And people laughing and cutting up and having fun. And then the next car would drive by in a few minutes because it wasn't a busy street. And it was fun because that's where I learned how to, the power of storytelling and connecting with people. And my father was a master at it and working in the post office and all that stuff. And they'd be in there early doing their mail, sorting their mail, and they'd be in their zones doing their things. But you could hear stories being told and laughter every once in a while. But I remember my best friend still to this day, uh, he and I became friends in ninth grade. He, he moved to Chickamauga, um, or to the school. He lived right outside the city limits. And when you go to a city school, you can invite in whoever you want. They can apply. And here's what happens. It's still going on today. That's why if I told my boys, one of them wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And thankfully he's not, no, he's not. But I said, if you end up doing that, you need to work in a city school. Because city schools normally, not always, but normally have more money. They got the SPLOS tax. They can build stadiums, facilities, and they can recruit players easier because you bring them into the city. Now they got the system where they will say, okay, you've got to count that kid as one and a half kids in Georgia anyway if they live out of the city. But my friend lived out of the city, but he was six foot eight and he could play basketball. So guess what? He got in. And my dad used to say, it don't matter if you're a good athlete or a good student, Gordon Lee's going to figure out a way to get you in. And, and my friend David got in 
And man, he was about six, six in ninth grade and he's walking down there uncoordinated. You know, anybody would be at that age. And my daddy saw him walking down the road while we were driving home. He goes, my gosh, who's that big old goomer? I said, that's my friend, pal. Cause that's his last name. And, uh, my dad said, well, where's he going? I said, I don't know. His mom normally picks him up. So my dad whipped the truck around, pulled up beside him. He goes, Hey pal, where are you headed? And he saw me and I waved and he says, well, I'm walking home. He goes, where do you live, son? He said, Fairview. That's about eight miles away. Daddy knew that because he's a postman. He said, well, hop in the truck. Let us take you home. He goes, oh, no, sir. I couldn't ask you to do that. Y'all live the other way. My dad said, I insist. Hop in the truck. So we drove him home. And on the ride, he got to talking to him. See, he didn't know that David's father had passed over that summer, that his mama was working two jobs, that David was the youngest in the family, much like my father was many years a surprise. David was the same way. And from that one day, my father ended up being a surrogate father to my best friend. He would check on him. He would cut up with him. He would teach him life lessons. I remember our junior, senior prom. He told him, he says, listen, pal. He'd always call him pal. He said, I want you to come by the house. I want to take a picture of you in that tuxedo. So pal shows up and he's in like a powder blue tuxedo. You know, thank God for the eighties. And, uh, he gets out of the car and see, we were Boston Celtics fans. And in the eighties, you either liked the Celtics or the Lakers. I liked the Hawks, but I was a Celtics man. You either Hollywood or you Boston. And man, me and my daddy loved Boston. Robert Parrish, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, Bill Walton. Man, the list goes on. Pile like the Lakers. So he'd come over and daddy would say, stay and watch a ball game with us, pal. And we'd talk smack and cut up and all that. So there's a guy that plays on the Lakers named James Worthy. And when David got out of the car that day in the tuxedo, my daddy said, man, look at here. Here comes James Worthy. And pal started grinning ear to ear. I believe his head swelled a little bit. And he said later, he goes, man, I felt so good when your daddy called me James Worthy. He says, then I started thinking about it. James Worthy ain't a handsome man. <laughs> he ain't the most handsome Laker on the team. He could have called me Magic Johnson, but he called me James Worthy. And he says, I know your daddy did that to aggravate me. You know, he is being giving me a compliment, but he is also aggravating me too. And they laughed about that for the next 30 years. And my father had a great sense of humor and he would enjoy himself and he enjoyed life. But what I watched happen when my mother got sick, he still found places where he could laugh. Man, I'm going to tell you, if you've ever had to care for a parent, being an only child's great Christmas and your birthday. Rest of the time, it ain't that great. And it's my mother. My mother did not want me to care for her physically. Um, and you know what I mean. When you When she's older, she wasn't able to take care of herself. She was dependent totally on other people. She was a southern print, a southern belle, southern lady. She didn't want her son to have to deal with that. But, the, you know, there came a day where I had to because her sisters might not be there. 
our home health person wasn't there and my father wasn't in the physical shape to be able to do it by himself and i remember i walked in there one day and it was towards the end of my mom's life she couldn't even get up to go to uh, a chair she had to stay in the bed and my father said um come in here and sit down i'll be back in a minute so i'm in the living room he walks into her bedroom or their bedroom because she couldn't go any further and he'd move he went and bought a recliner because his recliner wouldn't fit in that room through the door he ordered one he said measured the door told him pick him out one deliver it so he could sit in there with her and not be away from her um he opened up the door he said your mother said it's okay i need your help i've got to change her and i knew for my mother that that was a that was she did that because she knew my daddy needed my help i said yes sir i'm 50 years i'm in my late 40s i'm like yes sir what do i do i knew what to do but i wanted to know what he needed me to do he goes all i need you to do is put your arms out straight and your mother i'm going to lay her on your chest and you just hold her while i change her and i clean her so my mother at the time wasn't 90-something pounds, but it was dead weight. And she's got her head on my chest, and she begins to cry. And, man, you see your mama crying. I don't care how tough you are. A hell's angel. You're going to start crying. So then I start crying. Then my daddy's back here crying, trying to take care of her. And we get done. My daddy says, okay, I think I'm done. And he's got a tissue, and he's wiping a wiping her tears we set her back down and it's just one of those tense moments where i mean our hearts are just ripped out and my daddy says oh no where's my watch at (laughs) and when he said that my mother was like lynn brock i can't believe you said that but he took his humor and he took a situation that was so painful and he brought laughter and joy to everybody See, that's what comedy can do. And I learned from a guy that never stood up and held a microphone, but he held court at the post office, at the barbershop, at the family reunions, at the ball field. He held court. A lot of people I know in comedy had those kind of siblings or parents or grandparents or an uncle that they knew how to hold court, so to speak. So today, you know, I've talked about my father. And I hope that you had a good relationship with your dad. But if you didn't, remember God loves you and God's our heavenly father. And if you have children, man, I wish you the best. I mean, there's days I feel like I'm the worst father on the planet. I just feel like, man, I just wish I could do more. You know, I, I, I sometimes I go through the ringer and I think and I give I give in a lot. Not to my children, but I do for my children. Because those exes sometimes can be demanding, male or female. And I want to do my best to be a good father. Uh, Do I always do what's best? No. But I'm so thankful that we always have an opportunity. And I'm very thankful to have the dad I had. And I hope you are too. And I hope that um, that you have children and you can do what you can to be a blessing to them. And, man, I appreciate you guys listening today. 
I know it got a little heavy there a time or two, but you know, I got news for you. Life can get that way sometimes and we get through things. Depression, we can get on the other side of it. Loss, we can get on the other side of it. That pain never goes away of losing somebody you love, but we can learn how to cope with it. We can learn how to do something good in the midst of those feelings. And also laughter helps. And I encourage you, come out to a show. Man, I had somebody come to a show recently that they told me, they said, and I didn't know them. They just sent me a message on Facebook, said, I'm bringing my sister. She hasn't been out of the house in six months. Her husband passed. She's in depression, and I'm bringing her to your show. I thought, well, what the hell are you doing that for? No, I was like, okay. You know, I didn't ask who she was. You could kind of tell, you know. But after the show, she came up to me, and she was grinning. And she said, I'm so glad I came here tonight. You said things tonight that reminded me of my childhood, reminded me of my dating my husband, talking about your parents. And she goes, I am so thankful I came out tonight. See, man, laughter's a healer. It's a medicine. And I've got shows coming up. Come out and be a part. You can find out my schedule on uh, YouTube, Facebook, my website. You can go to bigrichbrockcomedy.org or .com. I'm sorry. Keep up with what we're doing. And I encourage you, if you hadn't followed me on Facebook, or as my mama called, Face World, uh, go ahead to Big Rich Brock Comedy. Like that page and share it with your friends because I'll put all my shows on there. I usually put some bits on there, things that you can follow along with, and we'll have a good time. I've enjoyed spending time with you today. God bless. Keep smiling. Enjoy life. And we'll see you in the show real soon. You've been listening to another episode of Big Rich Brock and Friends. For more information and past shows, go to our website, bigrichbrockcomedy.com. Thank you for listening.